Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. The accomplished Kentucky writer, Kim Michelle Richardson, is our podcast guest today. Kim is not only our first guest of the new year, her latest novel, The Book Woman's Daughter, is our 2023 Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Reads selection. I'll have more about uh, the Kentucky Reads program in just a minute on the podcast. Uh, Kim has written five works of uh, fiction, of historical fiction, and a memoir. We're delighted and and very happy to have her on the podcast to talk about her best-selling novel, The the Book Woman of uh, Troublesome Creek, and uh, the sequel or the standalone, and we'll also talk about that definition too, uh, The Book Woman's Daughter. Uh, Kim, Michelle, it's um, such an honor to have you not only as our first guest of 2023, but as our... um, forebearer and uh, the one leading the way uh, on our Kentucky Reads program. Well, it's a privilege to be here today with you, Bill, and I'm honored. Um, I can't wait to discuss our books. Well, we're uh, excited about that, too. And I know that the your listeners and, and your fans through uh, your writing career are also going to be excited about that. So we'll try to mention a couple of those. But uh, there's so much uh, interest in in what you've done with the Pack Horse Librarian. So let me just kind of start there and and tell me the story of these um, of these two novels. Uh, who were the Pack Horse Librarians, and and what was your real inspiration for writing both of these novels? Well, uh, about uh, the Pack Horse Librarians, uh, that program ran from 1935 to 1943 when funding ceased and roads became more accessible and so forth. But it actually began much earlier through the Kentucky Federation of Women's Clubs. Um, And then let me think, and later in 1913 when uh, May Stanford convinced a local co-baron, John C. Mayo, to subsidize the mounted service. Uh, but unfortunately, a year later, the program expired when Mayo died. But, you know, Kentucky was determined to develop this strong literacy program in what was called the Poplar Counties there in eastern Kentucky. So almost 20 years later, they went back and proposed the program to President Roosevelt's Franklin D. Roosevelt's WPA where it was approved as a sole effort to get the Kentucky women jobs. But in 1935, when that initiative came, Eastern Kentucky was in the midst of its most violent era. The bloody coal mine wars were going on. There was the crushing depression. The people in these librarians were suffering much like we have done, suffering their own poverty, pandemics, unrest, and add this to all that, a treacherous landscape. That program paid the Pack Horse Librarians $28 a month, and it was mostly women-driven. But 
Bill, the interesting part about all of this is what I found is that Roosevelt refused to provide any books, any reading materials or the mounts needed to deliver the books or places to house the materials. And I just thought it was ingenious how determined and how clever they were when they came up ways to get the reading materials and penny funds were so were brought up and and they solicited women's clubs, Boy Scouts and PTAs and other big cities. So it was just a fascinating program that I've oh gosh, I've known about forever, but I I think I remember now his name is gonna escape me, but a news journalist. He was excellent. Byron, Byron Crawford. I loved him. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. His name has just come up in the last uh, couple of days, uh, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Yeah. Oh, I, I loved everything he wrote and did. And anyways, um, I remember reading that, and I want to say late 80s, and it just always stuck with me about the Pike Horse Librarians. So Byron uh, did a a piece for the at that time the was it the Courier Journal or was he already at KET by then? He was, you know, maybe doing both. I think he was doing, it and I would see him on TV too. Uh, yeah. But I remember it was an. I'm pretty sure it was the Courier Journal. Yeah. Well, let me just tell our listeners, and and uh, this is one of those. Uh, stories that just come up organically in, in our discussion that we didn't have planned. Um, I just talked about uh, Byron Crawford with somebody uh, today. Uh, the He writes for Kentucky Living Magazine, which is a, uh, a well-read uh, uh, Kentucky uh, magazine that is distributed in all 120 counties. He's been writing for the magazine for many years, and they have decided to publish all of his uh back of the magazine uh, columns and publish those in a book, which is going to be oh. uh, published and, and printed in 2023. And they're going to going to have uh, quite an event. Uh, it's their, the Kentucky living magazine, 75th anniversary. And they talked to me in the last couple of days um, or this week about uh, the Kentucky book festival and about Byron uh, and being there and, uh, meeting people and that sort of thing. Byron was was uh, quite a, um, and still is, I, I would imagine, a personality on on KET television-wise, and then wrote for the Courier Journal, uh, and then mm -hmm. has been with Kentucky Living for a long time. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to, uh, the, the question was, what was your inspiration for the Pack Horse Librarians? But in a way, it was the interest that you found in uh, his column that really piqued your interest into looking I, into your yeah. research? Yes, and uh, I uh, want to say I will be the first to buy that book. I adore <laughs> him. Um, yes, I mean, that was something that, you know, the program was mostly women-driven, and it was nothing but a blip in history at the time. And, of course, there were no books out on it. Uh, so, anyways, I kept that in my pocket, and I would add to my files and talk to my agent a little bit about it and so forth. And uh, until, you know, I finally said, I, I want to do this, you know, this is what I want to do. And I kind of went on my own and, and did that. And I spent oh, over five years and there were thousands of hours, as you could imagine, and up to 16 hour days on 
the writing and the research, um, everything from met hemoglobinemia about the blue skin people. I included uh, interviewing doctors and specialists, uh, coal miners, researching the WPA's programs, of course, and the Pike Horse Librarians and and everything, just studying the fauna, the floral, the Appalachia food, everything. But, Did you grow up in Appalachia? No, I'm a Kentucky girl. I'm, no, as you know, but, I'm but in, 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 in Eastern Kentucky, though, were you uh, no. at some time? No. But I've been there, of course, many times. Yes. Uh, and I love the people of Eastern Kentucky dearly and uh, have always been a champion of those people. So... Um, I, anyways, I, I finished the book and in 19, I mean, 2017, there was two, still two things I had not done. Uh, there's a beloved mule in both the books mm. and I hadn't ridden a mule <laughs> and I hadn't found a fire tire watcher. So my dear friend, uh, not an author, Sarah Gruen, who lives in Western North Carolina, she invited me to go riding with her. Well, she had a donkey and could get me a mule, and I was going to do that. And there was also an old fire tire lookout around, and I could meet and learn firsthand from this person. His whole family, it was so interesting, his whole family, he grew up in a fire tire. And then he became a lookout. So anyways, uh, I spent uh, Christmas with him, this oh. old man and learning about him. So anyways, with that book written, my husband and I decided to leave our home and live in a one-room shack, and it was atop a mountain in the Nantahala Forest, which is deep in another part of Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And it was just an opportunity. I need to ride that mule. I wanted to ride that mule with Sarah. Uh, and then also, if there I could reflect, polish the novel on you know, carry out the last bit of research that I wanted to do, wasn't necessary. But it was very important because, first of all, I knew I was writing about a first and I was writing about my Kentucky people. So it was imperative that I just, you know, write that authentically and honestly as possible. It is so at this point, I just had to kind of leave New York behind and just say, let me do this this is what I'm going to do, you know, and you can't tell me you take care of New York. I'll take care of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's what they did. So anyways, we're living atop the shack and about seven months in my husband contracted limes and became riddled with blood clots too. And though not a cool snake or bear chased me away story but I fell off the mountain suffered seven breaks to my arm after toting some Pyrex dishes down crumbly mountain steps for an elderly woman uh, suffice to say there was nary a scratch on that Pyrex I mean I <laughs> could definitely advertise for them <laughs> but seven breaks and uh, so anyways that was off to the surgeon and the limes, and I was like, you know, this book is cooked. It is time to go home. <laughs> so, and, you know, I could have done it all from the comfort of my home, Bill, as, as we talked earlier. Uh -huh. You know, everything. Our Kentucky 
history and people were worth every hard ticking second. I say that. And they deserved only the best. And it was important for me to, to, again, portray it accurately and honestly. You know, Kentucky is not easily understood by outsiders. And its people's lives and stories are complicated, messy, brutal, and beautiful. So even for a Kentuckian like me, it's hard to get Kentucky right. So it was really critical I go beyond Well, let me ask you um, about, um, was there a body of research or a a library or a collection somewhere that you called on, whether Kentucky, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, that told you a lot about the Pack Horse librarians? Well, first of all, the Pack Horse librarians were only in Kentucky. And uh, so that was our, one of our wonderful programs. Uh, but yes, I, the KDLA, Kentucky Department of Library and Archives, were so very helpful uh, speaking with them, getting me photos, um, you know, that collection of photos. I knew I had to have that in both books. And that's so rare for for something like that to be included in a novel. And I was just so grateful when the publisher said I could do that because Mm -hmm. even for young librarians now, it was important for them to see those pictures. They were just priceless. And um, so, yeah, that was very important to me. So the Kentucky department or Kentucky libraries were everything. Uh Uh, The, um, one of the aspects that you've mentioned uh, a minute ago, and I'm going to have you pronounce uh, the condition that the blue people, um, and I hesitate to say suffer, but they uh, th- this is the malady that they're born with. Uh, how do you pronounce that again? It's called methemoglobinemia. Uh huh. And and what can you what can you and tell us about? Oh, I'm them? sorry. No, what can you tell us about them and and that uh, it's it's not a disease. I mean, you don't. So what? How, how do you how do you characterize it? Well, uh, there's two forms. One's acquired, like if you're taking too much drugs or have a heart disease that turns your skin blue or, or something like that. And then there's congenital, which our blue skin people of Kentucky have. And um, so that is what they have. They live long lives. They do find they're just different. You know, they're not like you or me. So as a result of that, they were, of course, ostracized and everything else. But I want to tell you, too, that it's been an honor to meet them. And I met not only the relatives of the Kentucky Pack Horse librarians, their children and grandchildren, but it was a privilege and joy to know the unique blueskin people of our home state, some of which are even librarians. And um, the Blues first settled in Kentucky around 1820 when a French orphan claimed a land grant here. And he met up with a white redheaded Kentuckian and they married, of course. And what's the chances, oceans away, she would have met hemoglobinemia as well. Interesting um, and Isn't fascinating it? too. Yes, it is, <laughs> and and that's such a an aspect of your story. Um, and the 
I mentioned a minute ago that in 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 one sentence uh, you've written and you've talked about uh, the bookwoman's daughter uh, being both a a sequel and a standalone. How, how do you uh, talk to me about the definitions of those two? And and uh, I've also read and heard people discuss whether they should read uh, the bookwoman of Troublesome Creek first before they read uh, the bookwoman's daughter. Just talk a little bit about the the way the two are standalone, yet um, they are kinfolk, if you will. Well, uh, first of all, it took a lot of convincing. I had not planned to ever write another story on that, much less at the time. It had been such a tumultuous journey, I was never going to write again. And I told the publishing world in New York that. But the demand from readers, you know, they spoke and I finally listened. Um, so the a sequel, of course, you can just jump right into it and it, you have to have read the first book. But a standalone in a sequel is one that you do not need to write it. So we, we took the journey of Honey, continued a little bit with Cussie Marion, Jackson Lovett in the previous novel, and made that into this standalone that they didn't really need to read the first book. Now, some readers will say, oh, you must read the first book. And some like, you don't need to read the first book and you can <laughs> read them out of order. So it's just up to the person. A daughter takes uh, place 12 years later in the 1950s. And Honey is now 16 and her parents are imprisoned for breaking miscegenation laws. I probably didn't say that right. Uh, <laughs> so anyways... I wanted to explore themes of sisterhood and uh, lift up our Kentucky women who held uncommon and demanding jobs during a time when males dominated the workforce and women and children were ruled by patriarchal law. So that was my intent on there. And we were just doing some amazing things here in Kentucky. Yeah, and that makes the the two novels really stand apart. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, uh, the daughter, uh, which is the Kentucky Reads uh, selection, uh, and the relationship between Honey and Pearl. But I want to remind people that all of the information for our Kentucky Reads program is on our website, kyhumanities.org. You just pull down the tab that says Programs, and it's all there. And I'm not going to to go through the instructions um, that I have in front of me, which came right from uh, the website, uh, because you can um, maneuver to our website and learn uh, whatever you need to know. But it's a uh, there are a lot of people out there, uh, Kim Michelle, who aren't familiar with the program. Although we always have quite uh, good numbers of people that sign up, and some are signing up uh, year after year. We've read some. Uh, wonderful uh, Kentucky writers and uh, novels and poetry and um, going back to some of our our uh, our our veteran writers like uh, Robert Penn Warren and and of course Wendell Berry was our our first uh, living writer that we we chose uh, about four years ago, but uh, there's a booking fee of only fifty dollars and fifty dollars gets you a, um, a fifteen books that are shipped to your nonprofit, whether it's a book club or a church or uh, some type of organization that uh, gets together readers. Um, then there is a scholar or a discussion leader 
They're all listed there. You choose one of them. Uh, they attend your session, uh, hopefully uh, live and in person, like we're doing so much more these days uh, after the in in the the new days, uh, not not the before days, uh, before times. So um, it runs all through uh, 2023. We're taking bookings right now. Uh, last year, I remember. I think I'm correct about this that we opened up uh, and started taking applications and they were filled up as many as we could fill uh, really early in the year. So don't hesitate once you see the announcement or see uh, something on Facebook uh, or in our Kentucky Reads website. Uh, and we're just, again, just thrilled that Kim Michelle Richardson's uh, Book Woman's Daughter is going to be our selection for 2023. And uh, she has also provided a, a wonderful reader's guide with lots of recipes and questions and and art. Um, and uh, it's that's also going to be available to people to download. So there's just lots of interesting uh, discussion points and rich uh, literary uh, uh, conversation that can be had around uh, Kim Michelle's uh, book. And uh, oftentimes, Kim Michelle, you probably know that the author, him or herself, uh, zoom in from wherever and join these discussions. So you might uh, expect a phone call or two from somebody that says, would you please talk to my club? Um, <laughs> and I know you're you're so willing to uh, and devoted to your readers to do that. But anyway, that's our Kentucky Reads program. And we're going to have more from Kim Michelle Richardson and more on uh, the book woman's uh, daughter right after we hear from our good friends who join us again in 2023 from the writing program at Spalding University. As a Kentucky humanities lover, you've heard of Spalding University's nationally distinguished MFA in creative writing. Now at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, we've added two innovative programs in professional writing your career goals take center stage as you work one-on-one -on -one with a faculty mentor to gain the writing skills employer's prize. Learn more about our low residency master's and certificate in professional writing at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Kim Michelle, uh, let's talk a little bit more. And I, I left our uh, last uh, mention of uh, the bookwoman's uh, daughter uh, with this relationship between honey and pearl. We knew a little bit about uh, about honey. Um, so just tell me about how you were sitting down, thinking about these two individuals, and and how you crafted uh, their their characters. Well, as I pretty much write in my author's notes, Bill. Honey's interactions with a far more sophisticated Pearl who comes over from London, Kentucky, and it shows a glimpse into the innocence and youth of both of them. Uh, the old land kind of waking up to the modernism creeping in and the mountain folk as well caught between their old hard ways and the new advanced world coming around them in the 1950s. So though Honey has been well-educated by her book, Woman Cussy, and her mother, in writing, reading, and more. Uh, her isolated life has held her back in other ways. Uh, Pearl is far ahead of her with modern gadgets, young men, parties, and drinking, 
and even more. So um, it's an interesting relationship, and I, I wanted to pull that in. Um, a lot of people love Pearl, um, and for some reason, Pearl was the hardest to get, you know, for me, but I just kept working and working on her. Uh, but so that is Pearl and Honey's relationship, kind of city mouse, country mouse. <laughs> sort hmm. of. How do you know as a writer that you've um, that you've captured a, a character as best you can? When your editor says they have to go, but you're not taking them anywhere except with you. <laughs> just mm. you've spent all this time with them and and um i had a uh when book woman went on submission for uh sale to the big publishing houses i had one big publisher and editor and she wanted a complete rewrite of the book woman of troublesome creek as it sits now pretty much yeah. and um and I listened, I got to interview several big editors to see, you know, if they wanted to see if I could hide my crazy and I wanted to see if we had the same vision. And this uh, woman, um, big editor in New York, I won't name the big house, but uh, she wanted, you know, didn't want to, she wants certain characters dropped, want a complete rewrite. Well, I've been with those people over five years, nobody. I was leaving nobody behind. And, but I was just, that's interesting and intriguing. Mm. I didn't say that, but I'm just saying I was just listening. Mm. And then she said, I'm going to ask my mother about your language. Well, that was all it took. <laughs> Northern woman isn't going to ask another Northern woman about <laughs> my language. I'd already stripped it. Because yeah. you have to be willing to bend. And in every pocket, you're going to have different languages in Kentucky. That's just the way we are. I have mm -hmm. relatives in another part I can't even understand. But mm -hmm. I was not stripping. So I got off the phone and I told my, called my agent crying. And I said, not for a million dollars. Not for any amount. So luckily, I ended up where I should be. And mm -hmm. uh, Anyway, see, we got off on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was it. You, you're you're with a good uh, publisher now who uh -oh. really loves your work and represents you really well. Well, not only that, they're so giving. Um, they donate a lot to my people, and mm -hmm. um, they they love Kentucky. They mm -hmm. understand Kentucky now, and um, anything I ask of them uh, to help me with Kentucky or Ken my Kentucky people, they jump right in. Yeah. Well, just a couple more things. Um, uh, once again, um, you've had such success with with all of your work, um, especially these last two. And we're so pleased that the book woman's daughter is our selection for Kentucky Reads. And uh, you've already sold a lot of those and people are reading uh, it in libraries all across America. But uh, now maybe even more people in Kentucky will be able to pick it up and, and read it through our Kentucky Reads program. But you've been involved in in other, I guess I would say, real world projects um, and the devastating uh, floods of uh, in eastern Kentucky uh, last July. Uh, and we think about that as if it happened a long time ago and it was only six or eight months ago that uh, so many lives were uh, destroyed. And 
I just happened to be in a group of uh, state officials yesterday and ask uh, how the folks were were doing over there. And I had heard that there might uh, be some people still living in tents. And he said, uh, that's not true. They're not in tents, but there are people still in uh, Jenny Wiley State Park. They're, they're, the state park is still full of 60 rooms or so of um, of people who are without a home. And in uh, Buckhorn, they still have a few in their state park, but they have now uh, mobile homes and motor homes that they're having to, to be housed in until something uh, occurs with either their rebuilding or waiting for FEMA to, to, to take action. But you didn't wait long to take action, uh, Kim Michelle. You started a disaster relief fund for Eastern Kentucky and uh, people stepped up, didn't they? And you stepped up uh, yourself to help the, the victims of the Eastern Kentucky flooding. Well, it was really hard seeing that, Bill. I, I knew I just couldn't just sit by. I Several years ago, I'd sent the library down there, uh, the libraries of donation to remodel, paint, get new carpeting, all of that from my first book up earnings. And so seeing that, you know, from my librarians that would send me the texts uh, and the photos and the videos, it just was heartbreaking. So I asked uh, my social media sites first uh, for books for schools because I had been talking to the principal of the schools, uh, superintendent of the schools down there. And I was shocked. Thousands began pouring in from all around the country. Then I had to learn how to do a GoFundMe because I didn't know a lick about that. So I got <laughs> that set up and uh, for the Letcher County libraries that had been destroyed and my dear readers and my folks in publishing have given now over $30,000. So, but it's a long process and that's still a drop in the bucket because mm -hmm. many families and even, you know, the children are homeless. They don't have a home going on down there. And as it wasn't long ago that I heard they are still some of them won't leave their tents, you know, and I guess that's to protect whatever is left. And uh, so I made a promise to those folks that I would be there long after the casserole and photo op, op crowd had left. I intend to do just that and I will continue. Well, that uh, that work goes on and uh, will continue for for years to rebuild um, in those many counties that were affected by the by the flooding, uh, Kim Michelle, you're um, you're certainly uh, at your in your very heart uh, a Kentucky writer who, who likes Kentucky writing, and and you you talk about uh, and recommend Kentucky writers, and I would venture to say uh, some Kentucky writers that some of our listeners and readers may not be familiar with, and I. I um, love these conversations where a writer comes up uh, that someone uh, wants to know more about. Um, we do our, our Think History segments on public radio, and there's always a segment or two about uh, a writer who was uh, very well known, was a bestseller way back in the early 1900s, for example, 
or somebody like a John Fox Jr. who you list and and many oh. others. So give give the uh, listeners of this podcast a, an idea of um, just name two or three of your favorites and and um, and why they are your favorites and what they can learn from them. Well, uh, I love Harriet Simpson Arno, uh, the doll maker. It's just, she's my all-time favorite. I love John Fox and uh, Gwen Hyman Rubio. I love Gwen, just a genuine person. I've had the privilege of meeting her several times. And her writing is just two of her books she had on the New York Times bestseller list at once. And... Uh, there's the poet, Effie Waller-Smith. I got her book, Jesse Stewart. We all love him. Uh, I like Alex Taylor and uh, Walter Tevis. Uh, Walter Tevis uh, did, as you might have just recently seen, The Queen's Gambit, that movie. But I loved his his books. I love all of them. So I just think there's they just have such rich evocative landscapes and their stories are so beautiful and this the prose is just wonderful and also uh, my cousin a Kentuckian Irvin Cobb yeah of course a a cousin a second cousin but you know he was a humorist a prolific author renowned columnist and reporter yeah and Please try. He wrote over, I think, 64 books and 300 something stories. But I always try to mention throughout all my books, uh, try to honor him in that special way by dropping a few of his Kentucky works in there. Yeah. Well, let me add another one to your list. If you don't know, uh, A.B. Guthrie, who's uh, if somebody doesn't take this idea uh, from listening to me talk about it, um, I'm going to race over and and beat him to it. I, I've long ago discovered uh, that his papers are at the University of Kentucky uh, Library. At, at one time, they were at the King Library, just mm-hmm. boxes and boxes. He was a uh, he was born and raised here. Was a professor at UK, and then he went out west and mm-hmm. wrote western novels out in Montana, and was a, a bestseller um, a couple of times. Uh, and uh, it has Kentucky roots, so he's another one that. Is a is a beautiful writer that people have just uh, forgotten about. I, I think we should have a revival of those. Uh, maybe with a a new book, you read a, a companion piece of uh, a classic that that's still around. Um, and Kim, uh, final question: When people uh, in our Kentucky Reads program read a book, woman's daughter, and put themselves in a situation that you found yourself in learning about the the pack horse librarians and the follow-up and and the the blue people in in Appalachia what do you want them to take away from reading your novel well for book woman's daughter you know we have a lot going on we have um you know sexism racism and and uh so many things that are things that are going on it's in the 1950s and you could still imagine that and we have child marriages discussion on that and interracial marriages and um, so forth. But anyway, someone t- said when it first the arcs were first available that it was impossible for these Kentucky women to be doing these tasks. 
and accomplishing so many remarkable feats in that time and setting. But we were. We have always made critically important contributions to the outside world, starting with the Frontier Nursing Service, Pack Horse Librarians, the Moonlight Schools, coal mining, female fire tires, uh, female coal miners. So our Kentucky women were indeed doing more work than five-star generals, and they deserve the credit they were long denied. I think for all women, it shows how far we've come and how much further we need to go. Well, that's uh, such um, such a, uh, a solid uh, statement uh, and so true and, uh, and, and so well said. So thank you for ending up like that. Um, and thank you for agreeing to be our uh, featured author on our Kentucky Reads program and to help us out with your support and your gift and your uh, wonderful uh, relationship that you have with readers. It's going to be a, a terrific year here at Kentucky Humanities, uh, Kentucky Reads program. And I also want to remind people that um, the podcast is on every week. Um, we began a, uh, a four-part series, uh, which is uh, still available uh, on our podcast list. It's also being uh, aired on WEKU Radio uh, on Bell Hooks, uh, an in-depth look at her life uh, and legacy that she leaves uh, after passing away uh, a year ago in December. So we're um, that that is up on the podcast for people to listen to also. So uh, lots to lots to do this uh, first part of the year. And once again, Kim Michelle, thanks uh, so much for joining us. And we will uh, talk to you soon, I hope. Thank you. And thank you to my readers. And I hope you enjoy The Book Woman's Daughter. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.